our spies writes in and says, uh, whatever became of Ovita Kopabi? Was Ovidia Kopalbi? Sounds like a a lady religious fanatic. He also says, "Whatever became of Henry Morgan? Wasn't that the pirate Henry Morgan?" Yes. Well, you know, I, I we got to get to work here. We're just, just, just stop it here. Stop here. Uh, hold on. Just just be calm out there, gang. Hold on. Hold on. I'm looking for some. Oh, yes, yes. Here it is. Here it is. This is a very important newsflash out there for you animal cuckoos. Did you know that uh, Detroit, Detroit of all cities, has been attacked in its eastern suburbs by a horde of monk parakeets? It is. I don't make the news. There it is. There it is. Putting this in my vast file of trivia. The foot-long South American cousins of the parrot... These are giant parakeets. These are not these little itsy-bitsy budgie types. Monk parakeets. Foot long. That's a biggie. Uh, South American cousins of the parrot voraciously consume apples, pears, and peaches. And people, the experts dismally report. A population explosion is feared. With all of its woes, Detroit deserves better. Grumbling on the assembly line, the airbag controversy, housing scandals. These burdens have been bravely borne, but a parakeet plague... Would tax Job. We hate to interfere at such trying times, but perhaps the suburban father should make the best of adversity and the end of the apple crop by enticing the birds into Edsel's and sending them off to get forever lost in the interstate highway system. Uh, that's a smart. That's a Philadelphia inquirer. Just it, listen. The Philadelphia was being consumed by man-eating, foot-long parakeets. It wouldn't be such a smart. I almost said something there, bad. Telling you smart, you know what? Three-letter word. That's that's my thought for you. Yeah, now for the <laughs> for those of you who, uh, hey, you know, speak of parakeets, uh, I was uh, just the other day. I'm sitting with this friend of mine, a couple of guys who are sitting around, and uh, you know how things do. You the, the your mind uh, late at night when the the Jim Beam is on the table and it's getting dark out and and uh, the banshees are howling in the woods and uh, your mind turns to thoughts of evil, perdition, trial and tribulation. Uh, somebody, uh, we got, uh, for some reason, we got on the subject of birds. And, yeah, birds. I mean, bird birds. I'm not talking about female birds. Birds, birds, you know, with the wings that flap, with them beaks sticking out the front. And uh, it suddenly occurred to me, I brought up the subject, and nobody could answer it. Whatever happened to canaries? No, do you remember when they used to have canaries? No, I'm not talking about parakeets, canaries. How long has it been since you've... Now, don't, don't laugh at this. Seriously, how long has it been since you have seen a canary? The kind that sing, you know, that... You know, you know how canaries sing. Whatever happened to canaries? They used to sell them in a dime store and everywhere. You'd see whole cages full of canaries, these little yellow birds. Sometimes there were little black flecks on them, sometimes white. Remember? But they were yellow, basically. And I have not seen a canary. They've quietly disappeared from the face of the globe, as far as I'm concerned. Do they still have them, Jerry? No, they do not. They do not. I have not seen a canary. Now, now, uh, when you talk about canaries, uh, I, uh, I have some, uh, some uh, little uh, experience with canaries. 
uh, not the personal experience, but let's say put a transcribed experience with canaries. The, <laughs> yeah, that's I. I uh, the, the, my mother. You, uh, you don't mind if I bring up a bad word here, mother. Uh, yes, that's that's becoming somewhat of an obscene phrase uh, in this uh, post-Freudian era. Uh, this is the age of Gloria, you know. That Gloria Patria. Oh, that's another Gloria. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry, that creased your brow, didn't it? Well, I had the bad time in Latin. I, I, uh, I must say, I did. You didn't know that I was, uh, I was somewhat of a Latin scholar. I mean, if you can count a D-plus as being a Latin scholar. I mean, <laughs> let's put it this way. I was a worker in the wheat field. I mean, down there deep among the hick hike hoax. I mean, I was knee-deep in the declined verbs. It was terrible. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, at one time, I, I, I spoke a fairly uh, fluent Italian. Uh, well, it actually was a... A fairly fluent Latin. I used to say, Puella, Puella, uh, hic, hic, hoc, huius, huius. And uh, I ran out of gas at about that point. <laughs> in hoc, agricola conch, in es, spittle lauk. Which uh, basically translated means, please do not step on the poor little and spit not on the farmer. What's the matter with that? That's not bad. You shouldn't spit on farmers. Nothing wrong with that. I don't see anything funny in that. If you're a farmer and they're spitting on you, you wouldn't think that's funny. Heck, hi, coke, who is... You want to know how to say that? In hoc, agricula conch. In est spittle lauk. Agricula... Well, agricula means a farmer. Right. Spittle means what it sounds like. Lauk. What does lauk mean? L-O-U-C. In hoc. Agricula conch. C-O-N-C. Kunk. Well, of course, I speak South Latin. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> but uh, when you when you get involved in, in these, these classical studies, you get deeply involved in all kinds of theological discussions. I don't want to get into that. Uh, no, no, that's not our purpose here tonight. However, uh, how the hell did we get on Latin anyway? What, what is this? You're... <laughs> That was a bad dream, anyway. Yeah, well, I, you're, you want to talk about canaries? No, no, I did not. Uh, I, it's very not easy to make the leap from canary to Latin verbs. Uh, not easy, but I, we we managed it. Uh, but nevertheless, I must say that <laughs> that in my in my time, I have been a classical scholar of some note. And uh, yes, I, my mother used to get notes all the time at home uh, from uh, my my classical scholarship. I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I made a, a terrible mistake. Uh, for any of you out there, I, I believe that it is the duty of the victims of any Holocaust to uh, pass on their experiences to the innocent. Uh, I made a, a fantastic mistake when I was in high school. For those of you who are still in high school, you may benefit from this, this uh, the disaster that I, I, I caused to come about upon myself. I think most disasters are self-wrought. you agree? I mean, unless you get hit by lightning. And that may be self-wrought, too. You can't go around wearing a lightning rod on the top of your head long without getting blasted right out of the birds, but the, out of the trees. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, I I, uh, I, uh, I brought it on myself. I, I, uh, I must concede this, that uh, uh, in, our, in my high school, it was required 
if you took a college prep course, uh, that you take two years of a foreign language. You, did you have that same requirement? Well, uh, I, I figured, uh, you know, it's uh, foreign language. And uh, I, and I was, uh, when I was making out my, uh, my class uh, schedule, uh, this was in the second semester of a high school. I was going to take this foreign language, so I sat down with the... It was uh, time for uh, registration. They had all these little blue cards to make out your... They sent us a catalog of various things that were available in school. And the catalog, of course, had all kinds of implied value judgments. Uh, they would warn you about various courses. Says, uh, <laughs> in a little kind of phraseology, like... Uh, uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting course for truly serious scholars. That meant look out. If you're hanging on by your fingernails, be careful. This is level be the one that'll do it to you. Others were a fun course. That meant that if you're a dill doc and you're trying to, you're going out for the football team, you better take this one. Uh, you know, uh, passing out towels in the gym. Uh, yeah, they actually had a course that was similar to that. It was called, uh, it was called physical education uh, administration. And uh, its application, and it said uh, two hours of lab work a week, which meant that you worked down at the gym passing out uh, basketball bladders, stuff like that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you got credit for it. But uh, nevertheless, there was this girl. Now, I think more than one male has been drawn into a maelstrom, into a veritable typhoon of disaster because of women in his life. And I might say it's the other way around. No no question about it, uh, that the... That the, that the curious and sometimes uh, inexplicable factors which bring together two totally disparate individuals result often in gunplay. God knows what kind of legal fees it generally results in and the weeping and wailing and lost, uh, you know, lost lives. But uh, I, at a very early age, second semester, there was this fantastic chick who, uh, by the way, she's almost totally disappeared from my mind. I just remember the name. Now, why I remember the name? Uh, well, her name was Helen Kubelik. Uh, started with a K. And uh, she, she had all the basic sensuality that is often ascribed to the Slavic races. Yes, uh, she was Lithuanian. And uh, Helen Kubelik, with a K... Helen Kubelik uh, would sit up there in the front of that class and she would radiate a fantastic, uh, almost a uh, primal, uh, basic sensuality. She just radiated it without doing even trying. She just sat there. And it would just come out from her in waves. And uh, you, had to be have, you had to have a certain type of uh, sophistication to appreciate it. That's true. Uh, because I remember one time mentioning Helen Kubelik to Schwartz. Uh, Schwartz, uh, I remember how the subject came up. I was back in the garage that uh, me and Schwartz ate our lunch in, our, uh, you know, school lunch. We all went, I don't know why we went to the garage to eat our lunch. We'd uh, gone to, uh, those are the, these are things which uh, <laughs> one that cannot explain after the fact. There's a hell of a lot in your life you can't explain, too. Do you agree? Why you did things at a certain time had a certain logic, inner logic, they call it, uh, at the time, which has since been lost. But for some reason, which uh, remains lost to history, and I'm sure that the later biographers will wonder about this, that uh, me and Schwartz and Flick, Bruner, and uh, Bolek Rakowski, and a couple of other guys, Claude Eaton, used to repair to the fashionable garage back of school every day to eat our lunch. Now, I, I believe, seriously, I, I really do believe 
But Freud was only partly right in his his analysis of the human character. I think a lot of things happen to the human being which uh, did not have much to do with sex, one thing and another, that did cast a, a shadow and a pall upon his future life and set the course of his future life. Uh, did, here, I'll, be, I'll ask you a, a bit of trivia. Did you ever read a book called The Outsider? Who wrote it? Well, if it, it had a lot of valid points. Very interesting book. I will leave that hang. I, I'll, he was English, and he is English. He's still writing. But he wrote a book about what makes a guy into an outsider in his society. How does he get to be an outsider? That's very hard to pinpoint. It's not as, enough to say, well, you know, his uh, background, his, uh, his family life. No, this is, a lot of things happen that cause you to slowly peel off from the general formation of mankind. If you can imagine mankind flying in formation, you know, like a, you know, a whole flock of P-51s, and uh, all of a sudden a couple of guys are playing tail end Charlie, uh, or they're, they're way out somewhere doing the individual reconnaissance work, and uh, <laughs> nobody knows why, see? Who knows, you know? The, the great mysteries of the universe. Speaking of mysteries, this is one of them, WOR New York. Sabina Belgian World Airlines has an urgent announcement for young travelers who plan to go to Europe this summer. After June 27th, the present $220 youth fare to Europe will no longer be available. The very next day, the 28th of June, youth fare will go up to 263 bucks. However, there will be no more youth fare for 24 and 25-year-olds, moreover, that means, and no eligibility for students up to age 29. So, you better get down there fast. Uh, in fact, uh, the $220 youth fare will apply on every Sabina flight to Europe right up until the 9.45 p.m. departure, June 27th. You can return any time within a year. So that's an important note if you're planning to make the European scene this summer. See your travel agent or call Sabina, Belgian World Airline, for details. Sabina's number is area code 212-961-6200. And let's see, we have a little spot here for uh, Mountain Valley water. If your bourbon hasn't been tasting good lately, maybe it's because you're mixing second-rate water with it. Uh, we'd like to recommend Mountain Valley water from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, it's been proven by 100 continuous years of use, the only water popular across the nation. Mountain Valley water's mellow taste and satisfying effect will convince you that it's right for you. You sit down with some of that Mountain Valley water, by God, it'll bring the roses to your cheeks. For a free folder and price list, or have Mountain Valley Water delivered to you, mail a card to M.E. Mysterious address here, me, it says. I don't know who that is. It says M.E. Take care of W.O.R. New York, 10018. Or just write the word water on it. And they'll know that you're desperate out there. <laughs> okay. New York, Bryant, 95252. That's New York. Call them. You've tried everything else. You might as well try drinking water for a while. See what that does to you. Hey, listen, a uh, uh, little note here. We got the House of Chan, and you know a lot of you people are going to probably be coming in for summer weekends here in the city, and I'd like to give you a personal recommendation, a really personal one. You know, over the weekend here in New York, it's very hard to find a good restaurant uh, open and one you can afford, and uh, it's really difficult. And I would like to recommend the House of Chan, which is an excellent Chinese oriental restaurant. They have uh, hundreds of dishes. It's one of the great menus in town. 
And they're at the corner of 52nd Street and 7th Avenue. That's right around the middle of town. If you're going to Rockefeller Center, any of those places, the House of Chan is right there, man. And they're open Sundays. They're open until midnight. Uh, they serve lunch. They serve dinner. They have a good bar. And they have a fantastic Chinese menu of all types. So that's the House of Chan, 52nd Street and 7th Avenue, seven days a week. And don't forget, they're open till midnight. So make the scene. And let's see. What's this? Evelyn Wood. Uh, take a free mini lesson and increase your reading and memory abilities on the spot. According to the spot, for years, man has dreamed of possessing a powerful memory. Uh, that can also be a fantastic curse, by the way. A memory that can store information for long periods of time. And, and uh, he's also dreamed of being able to retrieve this information accurately and on command. You know, you, you look at your mind, you say, Hey, mine, give me uh, March 27th, 1952. What was I doing that day? Well, due to a new technique, you can learn how to develop a reliable memory for virtually any kind of information, including that which you read. And the technique is being offered this summer with the Evelyn Wood Speed Reading Course at no extra cost. You get both memory and speed reading for the price of one. This week, the Lyceum will be holding this free mini-lesson at a location near your home. You come uh, to a free mini-lesson, increase your memory and reading speed on the spot. And let's see, they're going to have a free lesson tomorrow night at 8 in the Bronx at Fordham University, Faculty Memorial Hall, in Garden City at the Roosevelt Field Lower Concourse, in Manhattan at 72 West 45th Street, in Queens at the Flushing YMCA. That's at 136-46 Northern Boulevard. And in Morristown, New Jersey, at the Governor Morris Inn, 2 Whippany Road. Okay. Well, let's see. Uh, oh, yes. You want to... Uh, that, that terrible thing about the, about the parakeets and Helen Kubelik and the... And the, and the and, oh, I, you know, it's, it's an un, unfortunate thing how I got involved. I'm just going to pass it along to you. Any of you kids out there that might be... Uh, innocent and are liable to walk into the same uh, wearing blender. Uh, it's terrible. You know, some, some uh, things you walk into in life seem so great in the beginning, right? And uh, two weeks later, you can't figure out what the hell happened when the police are outside. <laughs> you can hear gunfire in the distance, and they're chopping down the doors. And <laughs> There you are, you know. It all started out so groovy. Well, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the, me and the story of Helen Kublik. Helen Kubelik, a human-wearing blender. Hoo-wee! And uh, I, I, uh, Helen used to sit up there. She was with the cage, you know, up there in the middle of the class. And uh, had I uh, been closer, maybe it uh, wouldn't have worked out the way it did. But I was in the back, and distance lends enchantment. This is always a fact, that uh, when you sit out there and watch the movies of Vanessa Redgrave, it's easy to fall in love with her. But if she's living in the same room yelling at you all the time, it's a different scene. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, uh, I speak with experience there. Yes, indeed. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> the factors that go to make up human disaster are far more complex than the simple propositions of uh, Freud. After all, Freud wrote almost 100 years ago that man had hardly emerged from the stage where he had webbed feet. And uh, the complications had not yet arisen. I will admit that the first thing that drew me to Helen Kubelik was uh, not necessarily sex, distance, many things. No, no, no. It was a far more exalted passion that I felt. 
when you're in the uh, second year of high school, you tend to feel highly exalted passions. You write bad poetry. Uh, yes, you do. And uh, there I am, sitting in the back of the room there, and I see this, this Slavic, this high-cheekboned vessel of all that is desirable uh, come in every day with her pals. We all know, because you know that the, uh, the, uh, all males know this, that every fantastically beautiful chick comes usually with, a, with an escort, like a destroyer escort of maybe two to three dogs. It's a fact that you have to get through those others to get to the, you know, to get to the real thing. And you generally have to find dates for the others, too. <laughs> it's very complex, this problem. So, nevertheless, Helen Kubelik used to come in and radiate this, this Slavic passion. And uh, I should have known, after my experience with Josephine Kosnovsky, that something else, it was about to happen again. That was another story. It's beyond the scope of the current uh, lecture, and I will not burden you with it. However, uh, Helen Kubelik was a one-semester passion and never really got to the point of a passion. It was a concept, more than a passion. And uh, she was always in the distance there. So uh, Helen Kubelik, on the day that we were registering for our classes for the following semester, happened to be, we were, we were registering in the library, as a matter of fact. You, you, if you, you remember going through registration, okay, it was in the library. And uh, we were seated randomly in the library. You could just sit anywhere you want with your registration cards and make them out. Well, I had my eye on Kublik, Helen Kublik, she of the high Slavic cheekbones and the slow eyes that spelled S-L-O-E, the slow berry. You've heard the term, haven't you? Her eyes were passions, pools of slow passion, S-L-O-E. You haven't heard that expression? You have. I'm surprised. I didn't know that you read, Jerry. I'm pleased and delighted. But uh, nevertheless, uh, she she just had these dark eyes. Her her eyes were were pools of passion. She had these high cheekbones, and she spoke with the slightest accent, just the slightest accent, a vague Hedy Lamar accent. You know, she would say things like this. Well, opposite me at the library table was Helen Kubelik, and. Uh, I am trying to read what she is writing down on her registration card because I wanted to get in the same classes where Helen Kublik was in. Have you ever tried to do this? You haven't. Was I, uh... Was I, uh... I cannot imagine that I was, uh... How can I say it? Uh, I was, uh... No, it couldn't be. No, no, I, 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 I was not uh, precocious. After all, it was the second semester of my first year in high school. You mean my interest in the in the Helen Kubelik's of this world was a was an interest born of precocity? No, because there were many of my peers who were interested in various other females that would go floating around the hall. So I was not alone. Don't tell me you weren't. My God, don't tell me, <laughs> Jerry. You must have been. Yes, I can see you were. So I, I'm sitting there trying to figure out how I can get in classes with her. See, it was not enough to be in the homeroom with her, where we had very little contact. You must remember that our homeroom was a brief, like a 12-minute period before classes. You would come in there and sit there, and Miss Snyder would read the, the uh, announcements of the day. You know, like, uh, the biology club will meet 
in room 202 this afternoon at 3.45, immediately following the eighth period. Uh, those of you who wish to look at the used book selection this year, you will find mimeograph sheets of used books available at the office. Miss Matson will give you one if you ask her. Uh, any of you who wish to pay your locker fees, you have until, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, the, the very exciting news. And uh, we didn't uh, say much in the, in the homeroom. And then just about the time Miss Snyder would finish with her last announcement, like uh, uh, those of you who are, again, uh, delinquent in your payment of the biology club dues, will find that you will not be allowed to take part in the biology club picnic, according to Miss Crystal Reader, the head of the biology club. Uh, the bell would go, and it was everybody for himself from that minute on. So I did not speak much to Helen Kubelik. I worshipped from afar. However, I knew she was in a college prep course, just like I was. I also knew that she was also a freshman, just like I was. So on this faded day, when I uh, practically wrecked my life, I am sitting in the <laughs> I'm sitting in, in the in the library making out my blue registration cards for various classes to be taken the following semester. Uh, this was always done in the springtime, so that when you came back the following fall, you would be properly registered and class would go. Uh, in a you know in, in a in a fairly orderly fashion. Now some schools have their registrations in the fall. Our school registered about three or four days before the last day of the year, before summer vacation. So you know it was a very advanced type of school. They assumed that all of us were going to pass into the next. You know that was a terrible assumption. But uh, I am sitting in the library on a nice beautiful June day, and uh, opposite me is sitting uh, Helen Kubelik, and she. She has a very subtle perfume on. I can smell it. Usually in the library, which was located just over the gym, the perfume was very different. It was the boys' gym. And you could smell uh, fermenting gym shoes and various other articles of gymnasium apparel. Uh, but on this day, the heady scent of, of musk and uh, the, the Venetian blinds were open. And it was a June day outside. I could hear the sound of tennis balls being battered back and forth by the tennis team. It was one of those fantastic moments. And I looked across into her mysterious, passionate eyes. And uh, I said to her, uh, Excuse me, uh, is your name Helen? I said, Pretend I didn't know her. She says, Yes. I said, uh, What foreign language are you taking? And she says, Latin. I said, What? She says, Latin. Well, I said to her, that's a coincidence. <laughs> I was about to uh, sign up for Latin. By George, I'm taking Latin. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what, uh, what the course, uh, who are you uh, signing up for with three Latin teachers? Little I realize that the three Latin teachers were like the three witches of Endor. I did not know the Latin teachers. I only knew later that they were often called the Three Witches of Endor by the more classically inclined failures in our, in our class. Uh, and uh, they were. Uh, at, I signed up for the middle one. You're curious uh, what her name was. Mrs. L.D. Enderby. Enderby, E-N-D-E-R-B-Y. Mrs. L.D. Enderby. 
stands for Lillian. And the D, which we never did find out what it actually stood for, but it all, uh, to the members of the class, it was Damnation. They used to call her Old Damnation Enderby. And uh, so, nevertheless, uh, also, she was known as Declension Enderby. So, <laughs> hello, baby. So, uh, the... the the, the, the story uh, is a sickening one, and it has, it has a, it's all right, uh, the show is in here, friends. Uh, but I, I, I said, who are you signing up for? Uh, she says, uh, gee, I don't know the name of the teacher. It's the second, uh, second period, room 202. Well, so I hastily looked back through my catalog. Second period, room 202. Mrs. L.D. Enderby, Latin 1. And underneath it, it says, uh, Latin 1 is available to students in the college preparatory courses. Mm-hmm. That's me. So I write down room 202, Mrs. L.D. Ender B. Latin 1. I signed my name. I figured I got it made. Me and Helen Kubelik sailing through the seas of classical literature together, translating... Julius Caesar, together, translating. You know, I could just hear the sound of classical lutes playing. Well, I signed up for that, and I'm still peering over at the, you know, the top of her book there to see what else she's signing up for. She signed up for a uh, study hall, by the way, which met in the cafeteria. Yes, a study hall, the fourth period. She signed up for the third period lunch which is uh, normal, since I was also going to have lunch the third period. So everything went off pretty good. And that summer, I was making plans. All summer, I was going to, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was looking for... You know how it is in the summertime when you're, when you're off for summer. You don't see a lot of the kids you see during the school year, right? Well, uh, all summer, my passion grew for Helen Kubelik because uh, this was a very... Uh, dramatic summer for me in many ways. First of all, I grew one foot and a half that summer. Yes, that's right. And, uh, well, I was, you know, you know, it's the year between my uh, freshman year and my sophomore year. You do have, tend to grow uh, heavily in that year. I grew heavily along with a certain uh, glandular development. And uh, various other things uh, began to uh, manifest themselves. And, uh, well, that's, that's beyond the scope of the course at this point. We will take up biology next semester. However, uh, towards about the end of the month of August, uh, it began to be obvious that school was going to occur again, again that year. Our worst fears were realized that school was about to happen again. And uh, there was a certain amount of excitement beginning to grow. Of course, uh, I at that time was deeply involved in uh, summer football practice. We had spring and summer football practice. So I went back to school in August. Uh, Schwartz and a couple of other guys. Schwartz was two and a half feet tall, weighed 93 pounds. So obviously Schwartz was not out for football. No way. Uh, but I was. And so that summer, I spent doing uh, doing things called that late August, I spent doing things called uh, the rocking chair. It's a fantastic form of uh, physical cruelty, which was devised by the PT department. <laughs> you know what the rocking chair is? Of course you do. Uh, you know what the chicken squat is, don't you? That's a goodie. When you put your arms out akimbo, and uh, you put them under your armpits like that, and you squat, and then you, you, you hop up and down to the count of one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, 
And that when, when the, when the <laughs> Huffine, the PT type, uh, would get particularly sadistic, he would also have us cluck as we did it. He says it develops your lungs. So to see 45, 295-pound football players wearing sweatsuits with their arms akimbo, hopping around the football field, going, quack, 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 one, two, three, four. Very humiliating, and also it sure hurts your gut. You used to get unbelievable cramps in the thighs from that one. That was a goodie for the thigh muscles. And uh, sweating like, absolutely like stuck pigs, hopping up and down. Well, that uh, August went slowly and painfully. And uh, as September approached, we began to have games. Uh, we began to play inter-squad scrimmages. At that point, I was on what they call the JV, the Junior Varsity. I was on the second team. That's a polite name for second team. But that was still nevertheless the varsity. And so the JV would scrimmage against the first team. And that was pretty uh, violent, uh, especially since we were continually playing defense. I can't. <laughs> oh, you know, and, 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 and there's nothing. I don't know whether you, any of you, uh, of course, any kid that's ever been out for, for uh, major football varsity play. I mean, after all, this was a big school. We had 3,000 students. Oh, yes, that's a big school. And it was a tough scene to, to be on that football team. Many were, many came, but damn, few were chosen, I could tell you. And uh, there I was. And, and I didn't realize at the time when I was chosen to be on this junior varsity, I was chosen not for my ability at that point to play football, but for my ability to take, to take continuous and unending and totally uh, sadistic punishment. We were constantly on defense against the varsity, which was running offensive plays against. We never got the ball. We never got to do anything back. And when and and our, our and by the way, every every little success that we would have, like say breaking through the defense and tackling a guy for say a five yard loss, would be treated as a capital crime. It was always a sign of failure on the part of the of the offense, not on not applauded as. <laughs> oh, they used to bug us. So we would we you know and and I can remember hour after hour after hour. And, and we had this guy named Shanner, who was, who was the offensive coach, who had been an All-American. And uh, an All-American, one of the Big Ten universities, was built like a, a, a fire plug with feet. And Shanner, Shanner used, to, used to run the offensive scrimmages. Now, this was, the first, this was the first varsity club. And they did not use, incidentally, the varsity defense against them because they were afraid they'd get hurt if you're really honest to the case, the varsity defense would scrimmage against itself. Only us would... Uh, so whenever they would carry one of the JVs off, you know, with his arm hanging by threads, uh, you know, with, with his foot twisted 180 degrees behind him, not a, not, a, not a tear. So Shanner is out there running the offensive plays. And he'd say, All right! All right, you guys! 32 left yellow! We knew what the damn play was. 32 left yellow. They never told us what the plays were. We just knew the name of it. And it's uh, a 32 left yellow. Now listen, Kyle, I want you to pull out fast. Get the lid out. Pull out fast. I want you to cut down that linebacker before he can get out of his damn tracks. All right. 32 left yellow. Let's see it. And these guys would go down. Up, two, three, four, 32, one, two, left yellow. One, two, three, four. And they'd come charging at us. Well, I was playing left linebacker. 
there would be a, a, a the sound of an approaching thunderstorm. I would move forward, and once in a while I would stop the play. At which point, Shanner would say, "What the hell happened there? What the hell happened there? Hey, Kyle, I want you to get the lead out. Move out. Move out. I want one step, a beat, and then move in between tackle and guard. Get that linebacker." Did he once say, Shepard, that was a great play? Never. Never. So we would line up again. He would say, 32, right, blue. 32, right, blue. Now, Gagelio, on this play, take one beat before you pull out and then move in and get the linebacker, the linebacker. All right, 32, right blue. Let's see it. 32, right blue. Hap, one, two, three, 32, right blue. One, seven, hap, one, two, three, four. And again, they come tra- only from another direction. Well, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, except to say that this terribly, terribly physical and often disastrous August was only the prelude to a further disaster. All right, you want to hear the further disaster? You want to hear it, all right. (laughs) Three days before the opening of school, the JV played its first JV ball game against another JV of another school, namely George Rogers Clark. Now, as you could tell, I was on the defensive club, right? We had a defensive platoon. We had an offensive platoon. Now, we hardly ever spoke because there was a certain amount of animosity of the defensive platoon for the offensive platoon who figured that the defensive platoon was taking all the hard stuff, getting kicked around, getting their noses busted, and the offensive platoon was getting the cheers. This is largely true. (laughs) It's true in pro ball. It's true all the way down the line, you know? So, so... We, 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 there was a certain amount of tension between the two of us. Well, the opening ball game started with us receiving. And uh, by the end of the first quarter, the score stood at 0-0. Zero to zero, And the tension was growing between the defensive platoon and the offensive platoon. Every time we would get that ball, within maybe 20, 30 seconds, there would be a fumble. We would be back out there again. So we're playing hour after hour defensive football. And finally we eked out a measly touchdown which was scored by the defensive club recovering a fumble in the end zone. So the halftime is a very tense halftime. Well, suffice it to say that there were two broken ribs on the defensive club. There were at least three busted noses. (laughs) There were about nine sprained ankles and assorted problems as a result of that first ball game with George Rogers Clark. Three days later, I'm sitting there with a heavy bandage around my left wrist, in case you're curious. Heavy bandage around my left wrist. I had a piece of plaster under this left eye where I got grazed by a spike in the middle of a very interesting altercation uh, down on the seven-yard line. And I find myself in my first Latin class. My body painting aches. And up there is Miss Lillian Enderby. That high voice. 
she would talk, hey, talk like this. And she would say, we are going to study a great classical language. And the language is Latin. For those of you who have had an interest in history, you will find this is a very rewarding experience. That Latin itself is the basis and the formation of all Western languages, with the exception of certain languages, which will come up later in the semester. No, Helen Kubelik. Helen Kubelik has transferred to another class. God knows. I never saw her again, incidentally, if you're curious. Helen Kublik never again entered my ken. But Miss Enderby did. By the end of the second week, I know that this is something I cannot understand. I cannot, I can't understand Latin at all. I can't understand the first, I don't know what they're talking about. And already these guys are sitting there having long conversations. There were people in my class who were saying things like, Ah, oh, Paula, come on in, in, hocker, grick, in a car. What the hell is going on here? It was then that I stepped from the frying pan into the fire. You had two weeks if you wanted to transfer to another class. And in desperation, I went up to my advisor. I said to Miss Snyder, my bandaged wrist painting me, throbbing me, a great swatch of plaster under my left eye, which, by the way, I still bear the scar for. You, I, but a lot of you people thought that I had three eyes. No, that's a scar right there. So I went up to Miss Snyder and I said, Miss Snyder, you're my advisor. Please give me some advice. He said, yes. I said, I, I'm just, I can't, I can't, I can't, I just can't uh, hack it there in that Latin class. What am I going to do? And she says, well, I, uh, let's see. Uh, I would suggest that you uh, transfer to, uh, why don't you transfer to Miss Linus's class? I said, Miss Linus's class? Yes, uh, that's uh, a German. I said, okay, great. I figured, you know, I mean, I knew words, I knew German words like, I had, I had read a lot of war stories, like they would say things like, Ja, war. They would say things like, uh, Schweinhund. So I figured I knew something about German, you know, a, a Streusel coffee cake. <laughs> I signed up for German. Well, let me tell you this, friends. Latin at least is printed in civilized letters. Have you ever tried to read German letters? I couldn't even read the damn letters! I don't know what they would say. You know, they would look like a whole bunch of illumined Greek manuscripts or something. Well, I want to say this. By the end of the second week of German, I had transferred out of college preparatory and I was taking something called Printing and Shop <laughs> 1 and 2. <laughs> God. And from that minute on, the sense of incipient failure has dogged me. I can hear the hounds of hell nipping at my bare bones in my classical past. WOR New York. Next, John Wingate and Nightbeat. How does your conduct, human behavior, the sociologist would call it, how does your conduct affect Wall Street? Can you play the market? By the way, you and I act? Yeah, possibly. We'll learn tonight. John Wingate, Nightbeat, good morning.
town tonight, but it doesn't have to be lonely. It isn't on Wingate's Nightbeat. Excitement, challenge, controversy, everything, young and old. I'm John Wingate, the program Nightbeat. Coming up first, America's best-selling author, Rona Jaffe, on The Other Woman, a special breed of woman, whatever that means. Then, Lynn and Joel Rapp. For years, they were comedy writers for Lucy and for Gilligan's Island. Now, they operate Mother Earth's Plant Boutique. And later, your human behavior in the stock market. John L. King on human behavior and Wall Street. Today, the market rallied, but day after day after day, it went down and down and down. Human behavior affects the stock market, especially on Wingate's Night Beat. Nightbeat is just fun. You calling in, your questions, talk to me if you want to. Or if you have nothing better to do. Wingate's Nightbeat. <laughs> 